All right, take your Bibles, turn to Titus chapter 2, please. Titus chapter 2. My ears are getting a workout today. I have a mask on and an ear mic on. That's a, that's a lot of work for my ears. <laughs> that's a heavy load to carry. They're not used to it. These masks, you know, they're, they're definitely a part of our society now. And I was wondering if the uh, sale of breath mints has gone down because no one cares. Or maybe because you can smell your own breath. Maybe it's gone up. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, am I cutting in and out? Sounds like it to me, so I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I, me, I have problems with mics in this place, nowhere else, but only here. If I preach somewhere else, I don't have a problem, but here you usually have a problem with mics, all right? So if I need to go to a handheld, let me know, okay? Give me the nod back there, all right? Good. Titus chapter 2. What experience for you has been life-changing? Life-changing experience. Can you think back in a time in your life where you... Uh, an event, a moment in time, uh, maybe it's a relationship that began or uh, something that happened, a, an event that's been life-changing over these years. Several years ago, we had a man come to preach for us, Pastor Pete Folger from Cleveland Baptist Church. And he came up here. He's been a friend of mine for years. In fact, when he was a teenager, I took him to camp. That's how long I've known him. I was working, uh, helping out in Cleveland Baptist Church, and he was a teenager. And so he came up here to preach for us. We took him uh, out to eat, and he said, I've, I've never had poutine. He said, I've never tried it. I heard all about Canadian poutine. And so we took him and he got him some poutine. I said, well, what do you think? He said, brother, this is life-changing. Life-changing. Now, that may be a little bit of exaggeration. Poutine, I'm not sure how you feel about poutine, if it's life-changing to you or not. But uh, that, that uh, experience for him, he said, was life-changing. When I think of life-changing, I think back to a, a church activity almost 26 years ago. Uh, our church was having a roller skating activity, and a youth, a single youth pastor walked into that activity that night, and he met a girl for the first time from Nova Scotia. That's me and Jackie, and that the magic began that night, right? Roller skating, and, and you know what? She fell for me very hard, very quick that night, but who can blame her? Who can resist a guy in roller skates? I mean, come on. There's nothing better than a guy in roller skates, right? And so that night, the magic began. That event has been life-changing. It's changed the course of our life, and now we have two girls, two, two sons-in-law as well, and, that, and the life has been, from that moment on, life-changing, all right? So this morning, I want to examine uh, today the life-changing grace of God. The life-changing grace of God. In Titus chapter 2, we're going to see three ways God's grace can change your life today. Today. And so God's grace is life-changing day by day. And so if we look at this passage closely and quickly, uh, we'll see that uh, God's grace can change our life. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get right into the passage uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for all that you've done for us and bring us here safely today. We pray for those who will be traveling for the 11 o'clock service, that you would uh, help them as well as they travel. Uh, for those who would join us online, that you'd speak to their hearts. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, it would be very clear and very uh, obvious to us what you want to do in our life through your grace and may change our life even today as we move forward. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Titus chapter 2, we're at verse number 11. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope 
and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The life-changing grace of God is, is looked at here in these few verses. How does God's grace change our life? First of all, God's grace is a saving grace. We understand that, right? But we got to look at that. That's what the Bible says here. And I hope that we never get tired of looking at the saving grace of God. Talk about your life-changing experience. Can you look back to a moment in time where you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Can you think of that moment? I, I'm thinking of a church in Cleveland, Ohio, Cleveland Baptist Church in the front pew of, of, a, of a back section when the, the pastor was preaching, a guest preacher was preaching about uh, how I could be on the Lord's side. And I said, I want to be on the Lord's side. And I know about Christ all my life. And I want Christ to be my Savior. And he changed my life that night. Changed my life. I'm thinking of different moments in life where God's grace intersected with my life, but that saving grace. Uh, grace, we need to define grace. Grace is God's favor, his kindness toward us. Uh, it's connected to his love and his mercy, this grace of God. How that God, has, God is looking towards you with favor and goodness and graciousness. He wants to pour his blessings upon us. That's God's grace. And so God's grace is life-changing. Here the Bible says that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The word appeared there is an interesting word. I like it when the Greek and the English kind of cross over. And here we have that. So the Greek word is from the English word that we use, epiphany. Epiphany. An epiphany is a sudden realization of a truth that changes your life, a, a new consciousness about something. And here it says that the grace of God appeared to all men. There was an event in time, we're going to celebrate it a little bit, where God became man. And at that sudden moment, the grace of God was on earth. And just 33 years later, that, that uh, God-man laid down his life, and just three days later, he came back to life again, right? And that resurrection, that death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ is an epiphany, a sudden realization of God's grace to all mankind. And so we celebrate that, and there's a time in your life where you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You had an epiphany. And maybe today you haven't. And God's brought you here. And the grace of God wants to change your life today. This is not about Bible Baptist Church changing. Bible Baptist Church does not change one life. It's the grace of God that changes lives. And so the grace of God is an epiphany. It appears to all men, it says. And I like that, to all men. It's available to anyone. It's all how you respond. God's grace is the same for everyone. Did you ever feel growing up like maybe that your parents had favorite children at one point or another you would never do that as a parent but maybe you felt that your parents did that you, pastor you almost not head very seriously here so we might all feel at one time there's a favorite child well god has no favorites in fact there's an old song that says that he loves you like he you were his only child his grace appears to all men and the fact of the matter is god's grace is apparent and appears and available to every man of every time, of all time, of all backgrounds, of all sin, of all... You think of the worst person that you can think of, God's grace is available to them. That's the grace of God. His goodness is... Uh, we can't describe it. In fact, when I was talking about trying to define grace, try to define grace. 
It's not something you just say at the supper time. Oh, someone say grace. You know, it's not that. It's more than that. It's, it's God's overall goodness and kindness and how he looks at mankind with the desire that he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is God's grace. And it doesn't end when you get saved. I mean, that's, his grace is toward you today. Um, there's an Old Testament verse, uh, make his face to shine upon you. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. God's face is shining upon you today. And so it's, this is God's grace. In verse 13, we're, we're introduced here uh, to our great Savior, Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 13 that he gave himself. The greatest gift of all was the gift of the perfect Lamb of God. And he gave himself on Calvary because he wanted to show grace to you. And to me, he knew that we would be we're sinners, that we're just dust, that we're we're frail, that we've we've gone away from God. All we like sheep have gone astray. He knows that, and he knew that at that moment in time, he's going to give his life for us, even on the cross, saying, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." Right? God's grace is amazing, and here is shown when He gave Himself as the greatest gift. It says this in verse thirteen. Verse 14, who gave himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us. His desire is to redeem us from all iniquity. The word iniquity means to go outside the law, to step out, uh, to step out of bounds. You guys are all out of bounds. <laughs> that phrase brings back memories. I was at camp one time, and there was a, <laughs> I was in B.C. at a camp preaching, and there was an old preacher there from Texas. And he was just... Uh, just the way about him, he was just standing there. The kids would go out of bounds. He'd go, out of bounds, out of bounds. And then me and Boyd Stanford was there, a friend of ours. And we kind of picked up on that phrase. <laughs> and we said it over and over and over again. But you, all people, all you people out there in the pews, you're out of bounds. And I'm out of bounds. We stepped out of God's law. And he wants to redeem us from that place where we're out of bounds and bring us back in line so he can bring us to heaven to be with him. Isn't that wonderful? He wants to redeem us. The word redeem means to buy back. To buy back, to, to purchase it back. He redeemed us. And then he says he wants to redeem us uh, from all iniquity and he wants to purify us. He wants to redeem us and restore us. Let's get us all cleaned up <laughs> and make, make our life, take a, a, a life that is headed for disaster and, and, and no meaning in life and give you purpose and peace here on this earth. So it's not just about you get to go to heaven. He wants to make your life meaningful while you're here on earth. He wants to redeem you and purify you, redeem you and restore you. Uh, kind of like I, I watch a show on TV sometimes uh, about a pawn shop. All right, they bring things into a pawn shop, and the pawn shop's all about redeeming. You bring something back, and if you want to, you can come back and redeem it later on. But in that, in that pawn shop, sometimes they'll buy things to sell things as well. And when they do, they buy them, they clean them up, and sometimes restore them to give them greater value, right? That's what Jesus Christ, that's what God wants to do. He, he reached out in grace through his son, Jesus Christ, so that he could buy you back and then clean you up and make you more valuable than you were. And it's not anything about you. It's not, we're all in the same boat. And so all of our value comes from what Jesus Christ has put into us. He's redeemed us and he's restored us. And then he says this, and I like this, purify unto himself a peculiar people. I look today across this auditorium at a group of peculiar people. 
If I said, if you, that's never a compliment in our society. If I say, that guy is really peculiar, no matter how nicely I say it or what inflection I use, it doesn't sound like a compliment. Hey, you're looking very peculiar today. Like, I, I, this doesn't sound good, right, in our language. But I want you to understand, uh, in the Bible language, that's a compliment of peculiar people. That word peculiar really means this, beyond usual. Beyond usual. And so he redeemed you and then restored you, and now you're beyond the usual. Again, nothing to do with you. You're just a sinner saved by grace. But he's put inside you his grace, and he's worked on you to redeem you, to purify you, and make you something of more value. It has this idea, uh, something, it makes you something special because of possession. Who owns you? That's why, that's why you're special. That really, that, that, that word in the Greek means the idea of ownership. Jesus Christ, God the Father, owns you now because you're owned by him. That makes you special, beyond usual. Uh, this is the grace of God. Going back to my idea of the, the pawn shop. Sometimes they bring in a very usual item to try to sell it. And what makes that item valuable is who used to own it. I saw one time they brought in a, a golf club. It was an ordinary golf club, a putter, I think it was. And it didn't look like anything. It wasn't gold. It wasn't value of itself. But the putter was owned by, at one time by Bill Clinton. I'm not a big Bill Clinton fan, but people are. And so because that golf club was owned by Bill Clinton and they had paperwork to prove that the golf club was owned by Bill Clinton, they paid a way more for that golf club than it was worth because of who used to own it. Can I tell you that the value that we have is because we are owned by God. <laughs> we become a child of God when we receive Christ, John 1, 12. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We, have, we are peculiar, special, beyond usual possession because we are children of the amazing, all-powerful, all-knowing God. That's what makes us special. It's like... Uh, that dad in the stands that keeps saying, hey, that's my boy out there. That's my boy out there. That's my son. And, and you know, um, my dad used to come to all of our basketball games. I hope he would be able to say, that's my boy out there. And there was times that I would mess up and I would not do what I was supposed to do and I'd have a bad play, but I still think my dad had pride that that's my boy. And so God makes you his child he says, that's, that's my child. <laughs> that's, I, I just can't wait to pour out grace upon them. Just like you want to pour grace upon your children. How much more would your heavenly father, which is in heaven, want to pour his grace upon you? The saving grace of God. Let's not get tired of that. So today, I, I tell you about the saving grace, number one, because in the Bible. And this is the passage we're preaching. It's right there. The grace of God hath appeared to all men for salvation. For salvation. And I want to tell you that because in case you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you accepted Christ today as your Savior, but most of you do. So I want to encourage your heart that you are a child of God. You are peculiar in that you're owned by God. And he has restored you and he has redeemed you. All praise be to the saving grace of God. Because without that, we are nothing. Right? So it's the saving grace of God. But then it doesn't stop there. The Bible says this. In verse number 12, 
Well, let's go back to verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. There's a saving grace. And it says this, teaching us. Teaching us. So the grace of God, the saving grace of God ought to be teaching you something. Right? You know, are you learning from grace? Who is your favorite teacher in school? Do you have a name? Do you have a picture in your, in your mind of one of your favorite teachers in school? I had in, in elementary a lady named Miss Soder. And I don't know much about her, but I know that I, as a grade two student, enjoyed that class. I don't know why. In high school, I had a, a teacher named Mr. Nelson. Mr. Nelson was a, a science teacher, but he knew the Bible better than anybody I knew. <laughs> and so he used the Bible in science, and, and I enjoyed his, his very, um, his pretty shy but very smart, and just and he poured into us, right? So we had favorite teachers, right? Is grace, are you a student of grace? <laughs> are you learning daily from the grace of God, realizing that God is pouring his blessings upon you and his face is favorable to you and whatever he allows in your life, every good and perfect gift comes from your Father, and all these things are God's grace upon you, and because of that, you're learning because grace is teaching. And if grace is teaching, certainly we ought to be learning from grace. So what should we be learning from grace? Look at what the Bible says. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Sometimes grace is misunderstood. I, Because when we show grace, it's different than when we receive grace a little bit, I think. Let me explain myself. When I show grace to somebody else, I may be like, it's okay, I'm not going to judge you, I'm just going to show grace, I'm going to understand where you're coming from, I'm going to show grace. And so sometimes we think that gr the grace of God is like, do whatever you want, I'm just so gracious, gracious, do what you want. That's not the grace of, look at the grace of God teaches us. Does it teach us to do whatever you want? No. It teaches us that we should deny ungodliness, worldly lusts, and live soberly, righteously, and godly. So the grace of God has the opposite effect on us personally, in that we should, the grace of God ought to teach us that there's a right and a wrong way to live as a child of God, who's a peculiar person, redeemed, restored, all based upon all that, right? And so here it says this, this grace, we're going to call uh, the second point sobering grace. Sobering grace. So when I use the word sober, <laughs> what image comes to your mind? What do you think of the word sober? We often in our society would think of someone who's not drunk, <laughs> right? Uh, in in uh, maybe alcoholics and they say I've been sober for 12 years. It's a good thing. Or we think of someone who was drunk the night before and they're sobering up the next morning. They're sobering. So it's a little different story here in the Bible, obviously. It's not talking about that. Uh, actually, the word picture that comes to mind when I think of sober, and this some of you will, will understand this, there's a show that I watched in reruns, maybe you watched the first time around, called Andy Griffith. And Andy Griffith, one character on there is named Otis. How many know who Otis is? All right, you know who I'm talking about. So Otis was a town drunk. He would come in and lock himself in the jail until he sobered up. So when I think of sobering up, I always think of Otis taking the keys off, locking himself in the jail, and hanging the keys back up until the next morning when he came out, right? Well, the word sober in the Bible uh, is a little bit different. It has the idea of, of a sound mind, thinking clearly. You can have clear thoughts and think soundly uh, and, and think things differently. The saving grace of God, uh, once it's received, allows you to look at life differently. You can have a sober and a, a serious and a clear, more clear outlook on life. You can understand why certain things happen. We don't understand everything, but we have a different outlook, right? Pastor Yeoman's talked about perspective. 
You can look at the snow and say, oh, I hate snow. Or you look at the snow, look how pretty it is, right? I'm the first guy. <laughs> but it's all about perspective. Your perspective in life ought to be, you ought to learn your perspective from grace. Grace is trying to teach you to look at life in a different way, that there's a purpose and a plan and God has everything under control and God's face towards you is still good. But, but, but Pastor, I don't understand. Uh, my loved one has cancer. I, I, don't, I don't understand that, but I know that God's grace is still good. And I know God's grace is sufficient. Just ask Paul, he'll tell you all about it in, in Corinthians. All right, so I don't understand all those things, but I, my outlook has to be different in that I understand God is still gracious to me in the bad times. It's a sobering way of looking at things, and so it's a sobering grace. It says this, even in this present world. <laughs> you can live soberly righteous in this present world. This world is nuts, right? You can be sober even though the world's going nuts. You can have a different outlook in life. That's what God is saying. And realize the, the present world that Paul wrote about 2,000 years ago is way different than the world we're in now, but God wrote it this way, in this present world. So wherever you are, in your corner of the world, you can have a sober, serious, uh, clear outlook on life. It's a sobering grace that God gives us through his saving grace. If we today had a, set up an obstacle course here, and I said, I'm gonna have, we're going to start over here on this side of the room. We're going to have an obstacle course. We're going to have a competition today. I'm going to have over here uh, Mr. Drain. All right, Mr. Drain is going to be one contestant over here on this side. And at the same, as soon, and at the same time, I'm going to have uh, Nathan Myers. All right, Nathan Myers is going to be the other contestant. And so there's a little bit of a disparity in age between these two men. And uh, it's going to be a race to the finish. I'm going to have you go through these pews, over these chairs, under this stuff, all around this stuff. I want you to do this on your mark, get set, go. I would, if I was a betting man, and I'm not, would bet on probably Nathan Myers. Not that I have anything against Mr. Drain, but in that, in that scenario, <laughs> Nathan's betting on Mr. Drain. But uh, in that scenario, I would probably choose to bet on Nathan. However, if I blindfolded Nathan and had the same race, I would bet on Mr. Drain. Because when you're blinded, it's hard to find your way through an obstacle course. The grace of God takes the blindfold off us so we can see things more clearly. And so we're not going through this life blindly just trying to feel our way through, like, what's going on, what's happening in this life. We have the grace of God to give us some direction and some clarity that others may not have. And so this grace of God gives us a soberness, a clarity for decision-making in our life. And so we just need to tap into the grace of God. So here it says that the grace of God is teaching us. There are things here that we need to abandon and things we need to adopt. Did you see that? So it says, it, what's the grace of God teaching you? Deny, get rid of, turn your back on. And it says right here, teach, looking, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. That's the things we turn, we abandon those things and we adopt uh, soberly, righteousness, godliness in this present world. So there's things, your whole life is going to be filled with abandoning the old life and adopting the new life. That's what, is, that's what grace teaches you. So what's the old life? 
And what's the new life? Well, grace teaches you that. I mean, God's, knowing that God is good towards you and, that, and God's pouring out his blessings toward you and, and, and the, the, the thoughts he thinks towards you are good, not evil. Like those are all verses of the Bible. The steps of a good man ordered by the Lord, that's, that's Bible. So all these things are teaching us to get rid of these things and, and, and adopt these things. So we can look at life differently. We can look at life with hope. Look at the next verse, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We always, always, always have hope to fall back on. No matter how bad things get, we have a blessed hope that Jesus Christ, you will see Jesus Christ one day. You may not be alive when he comes back, but one way or another, you will be with Jesus Christ. You will be with God for all eternity as he now can pour out his blessings uh, through all eternity. The book of Ephesians talks about that. That he can show you the riches of his glory through all eternity. You know, I don't have many riches in my house, but I've been to people's houses that have all kinds of collections and stuff, and they, they are so proud. Uh, they, you know, take you, walk you through. I went to a place in Newfoundland one time when I was out there, and uh, this guy had like uh, 30 uh, antique cars all done up nice. I like antique cars that are done up nice. And so he would walk us through and tell us about those cars, right? He was showing us the riches of his glory. <laughs> and so what's that going to be like when God says, I want to show you the riches of my glory? I don't know what that's going to be like, but I know it's going to be good. <laughs> and so no matter what, uh, this grace of God that he is showing upon us teaches us that we can have hope because we have a blessed hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace is a great motivator for the Christian life. When we think about God's goodness, his kindness, his favor, his promises, his blessings, it should motivate us to abandon the old life, adopt the new life. And grace is a way better motivator than guilt. Right? And sometimes in past, you know, we're, we, uh, in, in churches at times, we try to use guilt as a motivator. You, know, you ought to be there. You ought to do this. You ought to do... And that's... Sometimes we need a good kick in the right direction right but grace is way better than guilt and so grace is that great motivator for a sobering christian life it's a saving grace it's a sobering grace but lastly it's a serving grace look what the bible says verse 14 who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar, not, not weird, peculiar in that you're owned and you're above usual. And why? Because you're zealous of good works. Saving grace leads to sobering grace, which leads to serving grace. Zealous. Of, the word zealous means to be burning or passionate about something. What are you burning? What are you passionate about? What, what, what gets you excited in the morning? Everybody's different. There was a day that my wife was very passionate and would still be about garage sales. She'd get up early on Saturday morning. Not so much for me. Pastor Yomas is passionate about deer hunting. Got up early every morning, stayed up late every night to kill animals. Very passionate about that. To feed his family and to have some fun and to do... And that's great. He's pa what are you passionate about? The word zealous just means burning or passionate. In fact, there was a political group alive and around back in the time of the Bible when it was written. They were called the Zealots. 
That was the name of the political. Just like we would have the Democrats, the Republicans, and, and the conservatives, and the liberals. They had a, a group of people that they referred to as the zealots. The zealots wanted to rebel against the Roman rule and take over. And they were like freedom at any cost. And they were known for their passion and their hatred of Rome. It just burned inside them, and it couldn't help but come out because they were so passionate about it. And they called them, oh, there's one of those zealots. There's one of those zealots over there screaming around about Rome and how we need to get rid of Rome. They're so passionate about what, and they're known for that. Let me ask you this. What are you known for? What do those in your family know you for? Are you known as the person that, you know, is always looking down and, you know, coming across as better than, you know, they're the Christian in the family because, and they think they're better than everybody else, or are they the one that they say, no, they're the Christian and they like to just give and be kind to everyone else, right? And I'm, not, I'm all for standing for truth. But the Bible says to speak the truth in love, right? So if we're not doing it in love, then maybe we're not doing it right. And I've, I've known some, and I've heard of some men, and I've known some men that I think just were so passionate about the truth that they missed the love at times. I think there's a, and, and we can be that direction where we are all about love and not about truth. What are you known for? If you have a loving Heavenly Father who showers you with His love and His favor and His kindness and His faces towards you for good, would it just make sense that His kindness and His love would just flow through you? I mean, He's giving to you, you're giving it to them. He's giving it to you and you're giving it to them. You don't have a Heavenly Father looking over you ready to snuff you out because you've messed up. You don't have a loving Heavenly Father in there to look out and point the finger at and bring judgment. He's long-suffering towards you and patient and kind. And if that's what you're getting from Him, shouldn't that be what we give to everybody else? That is the serving grace of God. It comes through you. You ought to want to serve passionate for good works, what are you known for? He just does, he's a, he's a good guy. <laughs> She's a good, she just does nice things. I, I just, they're strange. When everybody else is kind of losing their mind at work because of this or that, they just kind of have a steadiness about them and they're the kind of person that can just do good. That's God's grace working through you to everyone else. Oh, God's, I mean, I'm just here to exalt and lift up the grace of God this morning. Because if we do, the grace of God, as it appears, brings salvation to all men. It brings sobering to the, the believers, saying, hey, there's some things I've got to get rid of in my life, and there's some things I better bring into my life, because God's been so good to me. It's not so much like, I'm afraid if I just do wrong, then God's going to strike me with lightning. No, it's not that. It's that God is so good to me, and I want that to flow through me and serve others. That's the grace of God. So the question is, as we close this thing up, how has God's grace changed your life? So the, and I want you to understand this. The purpose of this message is not to lay on you a guilt trip. We're not trying to guilt anybody to do anything. I'm not laying, and I don't think Titus is doing this. Titus is not, or Paul in the book of Titus is not laying on us a guilt trip. Now listen, he's leading us on a grace trip. That's <laughs> way better. Not a guilt trip, but a grace trip. You, my friend, if you're a born-again child of God, pack your bags. 
is you're on a trip of grace that will last all your life and then just gets better in heaven. <laughs> that's, 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 that's what God, God is looking to pour his grace upon us. And that's God's life-changing grace. It's an amazing grace that appeared to all men. God's grace teaches us. And so if you're not learning from the grace of God, something's wrong. Because God's grace is teaching. God's grace is teaching us and motivates us to abandon things that are ungodly and worldly, teaches us to adopt things that are righteous and godly. It's a sobering grace, which makes us a peculiar or beyond usual people because we're possessed by God. He owns us. We're a child of God, which makes us in turn zealous or passionate to serve others. That's the grace of God. So again, I ask you, how has God's grace changed your life? And maybe I should say it this way. How is God's grace changing your life? Because this is not a past tense. The word teaching there is an ongoing process. Mr. Holmes, how long have you been saved for? 50-something, 50 50-plus 50 years. God's grace is still teaching him. Hopefully in the next service we'll have a, a, a guy in our service that's been saved less than a year. God's, the grace of God is teaching him. Right? doesn't change. What we need to learn may be different, but God's grace is still teaching. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, number one? If you have not, if that's a question all in your mind, we want to help you with that. And, and again, this is not a guilt thing. This is just telling you that God is so good to you. He's pouring out his blessings upon you. He wants to give you a peace and a joy and a hope for all eternity, and he offers it to you. And he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem you, to restore you, to purify you, to make you his own possession. It's so good that we just want to share hope with you. And so if you don't know Christ today, the Bible does say it this way, today is the day of salvation. <laughs> and so why not today? The grace of God could teach you saving grace this morning. After the service, we'll stay here afterwards. Uh, myself or Pastor Jones will be here at the front. We'd love to talk to you about how you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior. We would like to, we'd encourage you not to put it off. At least have the conversation so you can know the saving grace of God. But most of you have already done that. So the question is, are you changing and transforming to be more like Jesus Christ every day? Are you abandoning the old life and the worldly lusts and, and you know, our natural desires and you know, my temper is just this is the kind of person I am. I have a natural temper. Well, get over it. Abandon that. <laughs> there, we can talk about all kinds of things that we are by nature that we shouldn't be by nature. And we abandon those things and we adopt a sober, a righteous, and a godly lifestyle is grace teaching you that this moment in your life? Because today is a day of learning from grace. So I hope today that if you're here today and you say, well, I'm already saved, that you won't walk out of here and say, well, that was a great message for somebody else. That you walk out of here and say, I need to learn from the grace of God a sobering lifestyle that is pleasing to the Father who loves me. And then are we serving? I know it's different today in our setup what service looks like. But here, the word service is never used. It just says you're zealous of good works. Passionate to do something good for somebody, somehow, some way. <laughs> That's what God's grace ought to teach us. Are you learning from grace? Are you growing in grace? Would you bow your head and close your eyes?
Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you've learned something from this passage and understand it. We just kind of walked through this grace trip from Titus chapter 2. Well, it's up to you now to make it personal. Can I ask you a question? We're, we're just closing out. We don't do this all the time. This morning, would you say, I talk about life-changing experiences. I remember a time where I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I am so thankful that I've received the grace of God for salvation. I know I'm a child of God today, and I'm thankful for it. Would you raise your hand this morning and say, that's me. I know I'm a child of God. I'm so thankful. All right, God bless you. Thank you for that testimony. That's awesome. That's awesome. If you did not raise your hand, or if you did and you're not sure, we'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you the question, but I just want you to know that I'm here afterwards. We're here at the staff afterwards. We're here all week. Get a hold of us if you have never received the grace of God. For those who just raised their hand, are you learning from grace to live a sober? Can you look at life differently because you have the grace of God? And will, will God's grace impact you tomorrow morning when you get up and the next day and the next day? Are you zealous? Are you known for your good work? The Bible says elsewhere that men will see your good works and they'll glorify your Father, which is in heaven. The grace of God is life-changing. How has it changed your life?